Thank you. I didn't realize what I was in, in for when I, uh, we were on this MAF plane and landed there at the tribe, the Aoyu tribe. I, my wife gave me that brand new baby and I got off the float of the float plane and into the mud and waded uh, to the shore. The shore was just filled with savages. There wasn't room even to get on shore. And what, what do I uh, do? Uh, she handed me the baby and I got there. My wife followed behind me. Baby was about oh, six weeks, I guess, and had been born there on the coast. Anyway, I gave her the baby. I went back to help the pilot, but the suitcase was in the plane. And as I got back to the plane, I see my wife fighting with those natives. <laughs> see, see, they, they, see they, they wondered what this was in the blanket. Now, my wife should not have put that baby in a blanket in that steaming hot jungle, but she didn't know any better. And so, see, uh, they were all pulling to see what we were so carefully handling. They'd never seen a white baby. They uh, didn't know we multiplied like they did. Uh, so, uh, and, and she's shoving them away and slapping their hands. And I yelled back, Carol, don't fight with them. They're headhunters. She forgotten. Uh, oh, goodness gracious. Cannibals at that. Anyway, uh, we got the stuff up to the shore. The, the mission boat ha had arrived with a chuck, an older missionary. So glad because the pilot took off. He'd come up the river with our things, and the natives were all over the boat, unloaded that thing, got him up to the house. There was a house. Another missionary had lasted nine months, and, uh, and, but he had built a house. Praise the Lord, we had somewhere to go. And so we got in the house. It was dark. We were dead tired, and natives were all over. But as soon as darkness came, the fear, that's the fear of the evil spirits, and uh, they went and left us alone, and we found some beds, and we slept somewhat. Uh, in the morning, there they all were with their hands out to be paid for unloading the boat. I didn't know who to pay. I'm Dutch. Us Dutch people, we, we never pay people for not working. Uh, so I'm wondering. I'm, I'm looking at them, saying, oh, which one of these guys work? There's all 300 people of the whole village were there, men, women, everybody. You couldn't tell one from the other because here you can tell them by the color of clothes and color here and there. They're all this, it's all the same. No clothing. Uh, no. I mean, all got curly black here. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I stood there looking at these guys. They don't know my language. I don't know theirs. And I'm trying to figure out who to pay. And the longer I hesitate, the more angry they get. And uh, when I go in the house to find out Chuck, if he, I mean, after all, he was on the boat handing it to him or something. And uh, when I went in the house, oh, brother, they thought I shut the door on them. And they started their war dancing around that house with their nine-foot spears. Unbelievable noise and noise. By now, I was shaking in my boots. I said, Chuck, who worked? He says, pay them all out of Pay them all. I said, well, they didn't, I didn't even have 300 pieces of carry. I, they didn't have work. He says, well, what are you saving it for? If you're not, if you're not. <laughs> I guess you get it. And all of a sudden, I realized that Dutchmen can be generous. And I was just about at the place that first morning to give everything ahead to them. And they went away laughing and thought, we'll come back for the rest tomorrow. Well, if you, if you read the pineapple story, you'll know that eventually they got it all. Anyway, I should have saved myself the nervous breakdown and the problems and just given it all away the first day. 
But us Dutch, we hang on so tight. Are there any Dutch here? You know, we, we just hang on. And, and we fight for, uh, people ask me if I like pineapples. No, I don't really like pineapples that much. But they, they were mine, and I was going to fight for what was mine, no matter what it was. And, um, but now that's not my fault. I got that from my father. He was that way. Uh, but, you know, when they didn't think they were going to get paid, Chuck says, pay them all. And I paid them. They laughed. And... Now the guys that have really done the work, now I know who they were. They stood there looking at what they got and what the others got, and man, they wanted more. And angry, possessed natives there in a row, standing there. One had a little yellow belt on. I thought I'd got to watch him. He was about the loudest. But uh, he hadn't, I don't know where he got it. He hadn't stolen it from me. I uh, hadn't been time yet. But, <laughs> I thought, and, but that belt made its rounds. No, you never know who's going to wear the little yellow belt. I don't know what it was all about, but there was no way. And I pointed to the village, told them to go away. But, of course, they point with their chin. I didn't know that. <laughs> so they're looking at my finger. But anyway, I, 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 I shut the door and I, and I locked it as if that was going to help. Now, our house is on post, you know. They could have burned us out. They could have made a fire. And, anyone. and I met my wife inside the kitchen window, and she says, Otto, what's happening? And I said, I, I think we're going to set a record, you know, martyred the first day in. <laughs> I, listen, you don't say, I mean, you don't say that to your wife. Uh, that, that, that didn't help her any. Uh, as long as they think you're courageous, it helps them a lot. So watch what you say. Anyway, uh... We had some breakfast I could hardly eat. I was as pale as a ghost. That was my first encounter with my people that I had been burdened to win. Well, I didn't know what trap we were going to be assigned to. But anyway, I, I think, I, 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 I'm saying to myself, I prepared for this all my life. And now I don't know whether I want to be here. And Chuck was saying, the, the tide is down, I'm leaving. He's going to take his boat, get out there when the water's going down. He, we're, we're 100 miles up that river from the coast. And I wanted so bad to get on that boat with him. And uh, I walked him down to the river. That man gave me some good advice. He's really trying to help me. He said, Otto, be careful with every, every action, every undertaking with these people. And he already knew I blew it on the first one. <laughs> and he says, they're, they're the most unpredictable people in the whole southern swampland. He shouldn't have told me that. And I went back up to the house and said, Carol, this is the most, this is the worst trap in the whole world. That's how it hit me. I shouldn't have told her that. Uh, but I just couldn't keep it to myself. I, see, we walking down to the river and all these natives come, that means all the flies and all the insects, they never bathe. And everything comes along. I mean, two white men, that's almost overbearing in a village where they've never seen white men, you know, except that other men have been there for nine months. And so uh, he said, he said, let's pray. He's, he's got the spiritual gift of mercy, and he's a nice guy, and he, he's, he's really, heart was going out to me, and uh, he said, let's pray. Now, he, on the bank of the river, all these savages around with their spears, see, bows and arrows, what have you. And, and this guy's got faith. He closes his eyes when he prays. <laughs> I happen to know you can pray with your eyes open. And uh, I was looking around while this dear guy was praying. And man, I, I don't know what, would I, uh, what I would have done if I'd seen anything that was dangerous. Uh, uh, but he's praying. And now he says, oh, God, please, somehow, somehow. He shouldn't have put all those somehows in there. <laughs> As if he didn't believe what he was praying himself. Somehow help Otto and Carol to, he, he had to be careful what he was saying. I know what he was thinking. 
And uh, he was weeping now. This guy was, he's a big guy. Much bigger than a big, strong guy. And the natives were most touched, you know. When he starts to pray to his God, they're all quiet. It's amazing. They sense something. They, they're spirit worshipers. They're animists. They sense things of the spirit. Anyway, he's weeping, and he puts his arm around me. He gets on the boat and waves goodbye. His wife said to me, uh, said to my wife, became her one of her best friends. Uh, and ten years later, she said, Chuck was weeping when he got home. And he said, Bernita, there's no way. There is no way those people are going to make it. Not in that tribe. Says, I, I, I almost felt it was wrong for me to leave them there. That's what he said. And he says, and she says, and here you've been here 10 years, and now your people are one. And she says, God sure knows what to do, what he's doing. Because, friends, there's never been a, a missionary more green than I was. I didn't know anything about the spirit-filled life. Can you imagine that? You're, you're going to a demon-possessed people, every one of them. The, uh, the generation that you're ministering to can't be more wicked than the one before. They've already got the saturation point of evil. You, you know, there's so much evil a man can do, and he's got to start over again. Uh, and, and, and I don't know what it is to be spirit-filled, and I don't know Romans 6. Uh, the, the Lordship, I don't know, understand uh, what crucified life is, and most of all, I don't understand what it is to uh, have authority in Jesus' name. Now, you say, how in the world can the American church send you over there? I was the best Christian in my church. That's what they said, anyway. I, I knew better, but they, and I, what they don't know, they won't hurt them. And, uh, but anyway, I was a soul winner, all right? So you think, yeah, this guy's going to convert the whole island flat. We sent him over there. I guess that was the idea. Uh, but, um, friends, I didn't want to be there. When Chuck left, I wanted to go with him. I was acquitted the first morning, and I could hardly believe it myself. But, friends, uh, I came back up to the house, not a mission, I'd send another missionary in to help me get started, okay? He was in the other part of the Aoyu tribe, so two, three weeks he was there, and he encouraged me and showed me what I'm supposed to know and what I'm supposed to do, how to get started, and then, then we were on our own. Now we had to prove to the whole world we were good missionaries, you know, and we weren't even anxious to prove that anymore. Now, <laughs> about a couple of months later, my wife got uh, hepatitis, and I called the doctor on my two-way radio, and he says, keep her down, don't let her get up. I mean, see, if she gets up too soon, she'll get a relapse. She'll be worse. And so then he goes on furlough. Now, I didn't think that was right. <laughs> so now I'm just holding my wife down to keep her down in bed. And, and, and it was only two of us with this whole tribe of natives, you know. And so uh, I don't know how long. She was in bed nine months that first year. Now, my turn was to wean that baby. And uh, my wife had these Playtex bottles. Don't, men, don't allow those in your house. Don't <laughs> confiscate them at the door. They, you cannot be a Christian and have a Playtex bottle at the same time. Uh, well, well I, Christian, yes, I was a Christian, but you know what I mean. Uh, they had these little plastic sacks in them, you know that? And they had a contraption, you had to put that thing on there. That's a trick in the first place. And then it has to transfer to that plastic cylinder. The bottom was lost, and so <laughs> the baby uh, had um, pinched the bottom of it. It's leaking on both ends. There's no way. To well, I, the, one of the problem was that we had this powdered milk came from Australia. It had been a long time of coming. And uh, it was hard. It was, I mean, I had to pound it with a hammer. Now, I don't know if you've ever, and I'm pounding the milk every morning to get that to then get that go through that bottle was quite something, and uh, I didn't I, I didn't believe it 
but myself it could be done. <laughs> then we had this, uh, yeah, have you ever had a screamer? This baby was a screamer. <laughs> you know, he wakes himself up screaming, everybody else, and he doesn't stop until you get something in him. So while I'm fighting with this bottle, he's screaming at me. <laughs> Terrible. Then I got this old kerosene stove. It was um, left over from the other missionary, rusted, dirty kerosene, gravity fed. It's, it was a temperamental thing. You know, either all the kerosene would come at once or it wouldn't come at all. You know, one of those things. And I fussed with that stove. Friends, I would have traded in any, all of my uh, theological knowledge for some mechanical ability at that time. <laughs> I, took the, I took that stove apart and tried to fix it. It, had, it was terrible. It had more parts. A simple kerosene stove should be, shouldn't be that complicated. But unfortunately, it was a Dutch stove. Oh, that <laughs> Phillips. Some dumb Dutchman made that thing. That made me so bad. You know, it had three burners on the top and two in the oven. I actually had an oven there, five burners. It had more washers and screens and pipes and tubes and little, all, all kinds of, I don't know what you call it, in there. And I take it apart and I, and I blow through the tubes and I clean it out and I try to get it back together again. I never could get it back together again. I, well, uh, those dumb engineers had not left enough room for all the parts, that, that, that was the same. <laughs> and so I'd leave out what I thought was least important. And I, I had fires, oh man did I have fires. I, I, it was terrible, terrible, scary to death. I finally had this 55 gallon drum with rice sacks, all soaking wet in there, just ready to blanket the whole stove. I mean, I had to do it. It was terrible and I'm, I'm fighting with the stove every morning, I'm fighting with this baby, I'm fighting with this bottle. And uh, oh, you uh, young mothers, don't let don't let your baby push you around. I've, I've learned this. I've learned this. If he if he gets hungry enough, he'll take it cold. Just bypass this. Don't forget the whole thing. He's six foot three now. He's a basketball. He's as tough as you want him want him to get. And uh, so I did that with the solids too. I just I asked my wife one day, when do I start him on solid? This kid's hungry. I mean, he's a big baby. And I said and I said I just wanted to see if I was doing it right. I had already had him on solid. I was giving him a can of. She said, start him with half a can of this and half a can. And I was already giving him two cans at the time. And, uh, and I wasn't even, I wasn't even, I wasn't even warming it up. I mean, just cold. I mean, he'd scream between every bite. So you, you just uh, shovel it in, you know. You, you got to shovel it in as fast as you can. And uh, make sure you burp him after that. But Oh, man, but that baby got to me. You know, I never needed an alarm clock. They were, he screamed every morning. The whole scenario, and just about now, Satan says, you didn't have your devotions this morning. See, everything's, I mean, how can you expect anything to go right today? And I went for that line. But don't let Satan get you like that. He wants you to feed that baby first, okay? And he'll eventually slow down and go to sleep, and then you can pray. But, but then he got me. I don't, it was so easy to have devotions in the morning when I was single. You know, but things, things change. The more kids you get, the more <laughs> least time you got. Anyway, but uh, I took that stove apart again. Still didn't work. I took it apart three times. No good. No good. Oh, that stove got to me. I kicked that stove. <laughs> well, I hadn't had my devotions. I mean, I kicked that stove. <laughs> I uh, kicked the baby. No, I mean, I kicked the, I wanted to kick the baby too someday, but I believe it. I threw that bottle at the stove. I got them both at once. I threw the bottle at the, at the baby. Once I threw it at my wife. Friends, talking about being defeated. 
I didn't know what to do. I praying. So I have my prayer time by the stove. I lay my Bible on the stove. I thought maybe something will rub off if it, you know, maybe a, there's a spirit in that thing. I've got to, I've got to get the stove right. I let my tears drop on the stove. And uh, I once laid my hands on the stove. I didn't have to anoint it with oil. There was oil all over the place anyway. That was kerosene. And I tried to heal, but no, no good. I went, I went outside with this big black pot. I had no lid. I don't know why. And the natives would bring me some firewood in, in exchange for some of the rice, you know. And so I'm cooking this rice and all these dirty natives. Man, they were all with their, oh, disease, you name it. And I'm, uh, I'm standing there trying to cook, get my rice cooked in this, and they're all coughing and spitting all the way around. And, I, and I'm getting like my wife, you know. She's a nurse. I'm uh, starting to see germs, too. I, I always thought she saw too many germs. She made life miserable for all of us. But um, I'm starting to see, I said, quit spitting around my... Uh, they get their sticks in there. You know, they're going to get some of that. And they get their dirty sticks in there and start getting it out before it was cooked. And uh, no wonder the, the cooking wasn't all that good. And my wife stayed sick. Then the radio, the two-way radio, every morning, they call us Jufo. Jufo. Santani here. And I'd say, Jufo standing by, how you doing? Out? I'd say, fine. <laughs> they couldn't believe that, but I, uh, since I said it every day, they started believing it. I guess this uh, amazing, amazing, this missionary, you know, just brand new. And I'd lay that thing down and I'd say, well, why did I say that? Do you ever do that? How you doing, man? Fine. <laughs> you know what? I see it now. I cut myself off from the prayers of all the missionaries that here. Now I'm hitting it alone. Christianity was never meant to be like that. We're part of all the members of our bodies. We depend on each other. We can't make it alone, nobody. And unless we humble ourselves, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go on. We cannot make it spiritually alone. It was never designed that way. I tried it. It doesn't work. But I wasn't going to confess that I wasn't making it. I was having a nervous breakdown. My wife was sick. The neighbors are all mad at me. My baby's screaming. And I say, I'm doing fine every day. And then finally that radio gets, that battery needs to be charged. Well, I had this Briggs and Stratton battery, don't ever get a Briggs and Stratton, <laughs> it doesn't work. I pulled that thing, would never start. And so my battery gets weak and weak and I worry, I know I'm going to have it one of these days, I'm going to be off the air and man, great, great deal for a, wor for a warrior, you know, just slowly getting worse and that voice on the radio is getting softer each day and finally I'm off the air. I'm pulling that, uh, Charger, trying to, natives all standing around me watching everything I do. They're starting to talk to me a little bit. They said, why don't they send us a smart missionary? <laughs> the other missionary pulled it once and it will go. You've been pulling it all morning. Tell them, we want a smart, I, hey, when I, when I, I told them I had a BA degree. They didn't know what it was. Uh, I started to write words. They said, wow, he carves fast. They called me dumb. And I'm defending myself, I sh ridiculous. But uh, we finally went off the air and the plane came three days later and he said, what is it, what's your problem? And I said, that battery charger. Well, he had a, another radio, he had another battery and charger and an antenna. He said, I'd hoped it was one of these four things. And uh, he, took that, he took that battery to the guy on the coast with the boat. This fella, Chuck, you won't believe it. He can look at the thing, make it go. Makes you mad. Uh, and, uh, and, and he, he came back. He, had, he sent that thing back three weeks later. He had this little note on the top, stuck it right on the spark plug, and it said, Otto, don't touch anything. 
Just start it. <laughs> Sorry. You wonder if the natives were right. And then, well, I had this uh, motorboat, little fiberglass boat, supposed to be for evangelism, and uh, Evan Rude Motor, don't get one of those. <laughs> never, never would go. I was glad it wouldn't go. I wasn't interested in evangelism. I was in, interested in, in survival. Uh, yeah, we got letters. I hope you don't read write letters from home. Otto, how you doing? How many churches have you planted? <laughs> how many souls have you won? Hey, I hadn't even fixed my stove yet. Don't, don't, don't write letters. Hey, give us a chance, will you? Tell us, hey, even though, even though you don't think you're doing any good, we love you anyway, we're going to keep supporting you. Write them something like that. Help them out. But friends, don't say, how, how much good are you doing over there? And friend, then the medical work was terrible. My wife had started a clinic. Now I'm saddled with it. Can you imagine? They came. They said, you give us medicine. You eating all the pills yourself. I said, no, I'm taking vitamins. They're looking in the window. Sure, I'm eating vitamins. I'm, you know, even you worry about things, you eat vitamins. So I'm... Uh, my wife, she says, you don't know anything about medicine. I said, I know it, but I'm losing all my, f there's no, I mean, they're not going to, they're all angry at me. So I carried the box in and to her bedroom and, and she took the potent stuff out like codeine that I, you know, things that I could kill people with. She, she's smart. And she sent me out there with aspirin, you know, and self and bandages and tell me how to give shots. Oh, that was quite something. Now I'm out there every morning. I See, they're at my door first at the crack of dawn, yelling for their medicine, and the baby's screaming for his milk, see? And they're yelling at me from the inside and the outside, and I don't know what to do. I don't know who to shut up first. I, I don't know who wakes who up. Uh, but anyway, I'm out there first thing in the morning with this box of medicine out there, and there's, there's a hundred of them. They, they never come in, in single. I mean, from other villages. They come a whole group because they're enemy villages. They're not going to show up alone. They have a whole gang with them, you know. And they all come with their tropical ulcers, and it's terrible. And diagnosing, the, the, this is a hard thing for me, you know. You can't even tell whether he's got a rash or not in that culture. And uh, I'm looking in their eyes, you know. I'm looking, and they say, what you're looking for, Tuan? I said, I don't really know. <laughs> but that's the way you're supposed to do it. So I'm doing this. Well, we'll just forget about looking down our throat and just give us the men. They had favorite colors. They said, I said, I don't know what to give you. He says, well, I like those red ones. If I'd only listened to him, I could have simplified this whole thing so much. And so I had given them all these pills, and, and they're, they don't like what I give them. And they're yelling, oh, they're yelling. We're not communicating hardly at all. And so I said, I, I said we're not going to do this anymore. I said, I said, from now on, you all line up. And I said, when you get to this table, you don't say a word, and I won't say a word. All you do is point to where you're sick. <laughs> I couldn't do it with a chin. I said, put your finger. <laughs> and if it, if it was from the belt up, I'd give him aspirin. If it was from the belt down, I'd give him sulfur. <laughs> and that's all I used for years. I, I mean, I just, dumped, I just dumped those bottles right over, and I just had a pile of medicine there. And I say, point, man. And it's, here you are, man. And my wife couldn't believe how fast I could get this medical work done. She was overwhelmed, amazed. And uh, one guy, he said, well, this evil spirit of the horse shot me up here and it went below. He got both. 
You got both. But, but um, and it wor this worked good for a while. I don't know if I saved any lives, honestly. I know I lost some. Uh, and that's tragic. But the thing is, doctors here lose some too. So what's the difference? Um, I hope there's no doctors here. I, I haven't met any yet. Anyway, after a while, they said we don't want those pills. See, the, the tropical ulcers. We had penicillin G, that thick, and we had to have those big needles. And you had to really shake that bottle to get that out. And so uh, that was a miracle. That just dried up in tropical, tropical ulcer in four or five days. And, uh, and they said, we want that medicine with the big bite. And uh, we don't want your pills. Well, I spit out the pills. I hate waste. I said, man, you've got a headache. You don't need a shot. No, I want a shot. Man, and, and, and they're fighting with me. Now, they stand there with these huge spears, nine-foot spears, and I got this little syringe, you know. I, what would you have done? Mine, I shot him up with water. I always just shot him up. I just came out, I think. No, no, listen, listen, listen. Lest you get me wrong. I wasn't hurting him. Yeah, well, I, I got the big needles for everything now. I, I, you, I never use small ones anymore. <laughs> I thought maybe if it hurts a bit, they won't come back. Uh, I was trying to cut down on my workload. I, oh, man, it took me till noon, friends. I was worn out by noon. I was finished. And, I, and I'm got to start learning language yet, you see. And uh, so I shot them up with those big needles. I never sharpened those needles anymore. Man, I just, especially those guys stole my pineapples, man. I, I, I hit them right here, you know? Right, uh, uh, there's too many wires and veins, whatever, back here. My wife, that's where my wife shoots them up. Man. If you do it right here in the, on the calf, make sure you don't hit that bone. Just, just get them and leave, leave that mark. They know they've had some medicine. <laughs> they know they've had medicine. See? Now they got to know that. Friends, this is unbelievable. I didn't know this until years later. That they, you know, Satan had their minds. He had them, when they were sick, they were going to die. And he had them believing that. And I've seen people just suicide. They wouldn't even come. I'm going to die. And, but when I shot them up, they say, I got the powerful medicine in me. I'm going to live. And it's all in the mind, isn't it? They were hearing Satan so strong, you're going to die. And now this missionary gave them that medicine with that dull needle, the big one. And I mean, they knew they had it. There was evidence. Eh? If it had been us, we would have said Satan. See, look, evidence. I got it. Don't believe in you now. But friends, just that, and that saved lives. Can you believe it? The missionary is so green, doing everything wrong, not even praying anymore. He hasn't got time to pray, you know. And, and he's doing something, and he's saving lives for some of them to be later saved, much, much later. Uh, uh, I stood in front of one, out of one missionary conference, and this couple came forward to dedicate their lives to be missionaries. And the lady shook my hand and said, you know, Mr. Koning, we never thought we were good enough to be missionaries till we met you. <laughs> And I said, hey, isn't it neat that even God can use your failures for his glory? Man, that's, there's nobody here that doesn't qualify. Hey, maybe some of you sitting right here saying, man, I couldn't have done that. Hey, isn't it? God gets a bigger challenge out of using a guy that isn't so smart than some of these smart people. Don't you think? Takes more, doesn't it? And God wants to show himself strong. So you people that aren't too smart, you're, hey, God will send you. And uh, usually, well, anyway, friends that... Uh, Medical work, oh, it was a thorn in the flesh to me. 
I just didn't like it. I hate medical work. And I had to do it every day. And the more I frustrated them, the more, the, the longer my wife is sick. And when finally I realized this and I say, okay, God, if this is all you want me to do out here, if you want me to do medical work the rest of my life, all right, finally you surrender, right? And that's when God heals your wife. You can pray with all your heart, God heal my wife. We were praying God either make her sick enough so we can go home or make her well so she can do the medical work. And, and she was never sick enough. See, because I want, to, and she was praying that we should get sick enough to go home. Because we weren't, we weren't making it, folks. The other couple lasted nine months, and the lucky guy, he got, she got so sick, she got home here to Wheaton, Illinois, to the mission. They never found anything wrong with her in America. So you know, it wasn't physical. And that village wasn't fit for, for a Christian to live in. Unless that Christian had something that we're learning here these days. But most of us weren't trained that way. And we didn't know anything about it. And so, she never got sick enough, so we, I, I'm too proud to quit. I, I said, God, I'd rather die than quit. I'll never quit, I'm a Dutchman, we don't quit. And so I thought I was gonna die, I really did. And Satan had me convinced that. See, I'm believing his lies. Satan didn't want me there, folks. Isn't that right? I know that now, now that I went back last summer and saw the, the 10 churches operating without seminars and without books and without Christian radio and without anything but part of the Bible. Amen. You say, how can that be? Well, they only got God. When they get sick to God, when they get hungry to God, they, they, they pray all day long. And maybe that's when we can learn some lessons on faith. But friends, God knew that. Satan didn't want me there, and God wanted me there. I'm sure he did. He said, go into all the world, and I didn't want me there. Now, who am I siding with? Now, I didn't do this consciously. That, that's the way it was. Isn't that right? I'm siding with Satan against God. Now, then Satan says, he puts in mind, they're going to get you this time. I had a quarter-mile track around my station so I could get away if I needed to, as if I could outrun those savages. But I thought I'd do the best I can. Uh, and fear. You're all, not always going to make it. And I, I, my, my mind is full of fear for my baby and for my sick wife. And he says, Jesus says, fear not, and I, Satan says, fear. Now, who am I listening to? See, I'm, I'm citing it. All right, the same with worrying, war, anxiety. Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Satan says, hey, they're going to get it. They're, they're headhunters. <laughs> yeah. So I'm worrying, right? And Satan says, they're stealing all your stuff, man. You've got to get back, fight for you. I mean, you've got to stand. You can't let them walk all over you. And Jesus says, hey, turn the other cheek. Don't be angry. And friends, that's what you call giving place to the devil. And my whole my soul, my, my mind, my thinking was Satan's thoughts, my, my emotions, my will. See, we can give our whole soul area and can be controlled by Satan. Now, I am a Christian and my spirit is God's lives in me. There was no doubt about that. But friends, see, see how, how he can manipulate us until, until we're, we're thinking his lines. And then, then as, as a man thinks so easy, and then, then the walk starts following, you wonder, you come to a place where you wonder whether you're a Christian yourself. And everybody else starts to wonder. But you know, friends, it went on, then these uh, possessed people, oh, they, they were the hardcore ones, we call them. That was just our term. Once they were always possessed, and then the others would just be possessed when the battle came on. They'd cry out, demons come in, and man, you ought to see it. They all they'd go wild. 
they dance themselves into this thing in these night uh, ritualistic dances and so on. And they all, they're all possessed. Uh, but uh, I try to avoid these guys that were always permanently possessed, these witch doctor guys, and, and uh, scared of them. I didn't know what to do with them. Now this boy would always fall in the fire. We call him the epileptic. And fall in the water and fall in the fire. His dad would save him. We would save him. Bandage and, eat, and I set those bandages every day. I'm when when he came around, I left him to the end. The others all go away, and I'm fighting with this kid, trying to get bandage. I gave him everything I had. Try to finally he gets better from his burns. And just about the time he's done, he falls in the fire again. I'm scraping burnt bandages off this kid now. There's no end to this thing. All the time, CB was. CB was a, we had a clean water drum outside and he'd get in that drum, take his bath. He, they, they don't take baths, these people. But Satan had him break the rules. It's good to take baths. Satan doesn't have him take baths, but to wound a missionary, to get in the missionary drum, he has him take baths. See, Satan will br uh, break his own rules when he can destroy the missionary. And so he stole a piece of soap. He was, he said, Don, look, I'm taking a bath. He's soaping himself in my clean water. Oh, man, I was so angry. I told him, get out of there. I had to dump that precious water and clean that drum. And man, you don't have enough energy to clean the drum. Anyway, uh, prayed that water, prayed, God, we need water. And that afternoon, we had, just fill it right up, man. Thank you, Lord. Just uh, Next day, he was in it again, next morning. So man, we go through this whole thing. I'm even angry now. You know, and uh, third day he got in, I, uh, the, the Lord, the Lord filled it up again second day. Prayed, rain came down, full down. And third morning he was in there, I hit him. He couldn't run, see, he was in that drum. <laughs> I hit him square in the face, I shouldn't have done it. Please don't tell me afterwards that missionaries shouldn't hit their people. Uh, please. Um, anyway, I hit him, but you know, when I hit that boy, a fire came out of his eyes. I'd never seen anything like it. I was so scared, I ran away from the drum. By the time I got back, he, he was gone. Yes, can this be turned up any? I, um, okay, I'll try. Um, things like that, he would, I'd get the diapers clean, glad to get that job done, and, and now, He'd wipe himself on this whole row. If he'd wiped himself on one diaper, I would have had no objection. But he'd mess up the whole row of diapers with his greasy, dirty hair, never bathed, you know. And, uh, oh, man, I try to wash him again. I said, forget it. This baby's going to have to toughen up if he's going to live here. He's going to have to resist these germs until my wife caught me. And uh, then I had another problem. Uh, don't marry a nurse. I mean, it's, it's hard enough without them. Uh, anyway, struggle on. Two problems I've mentioned to you, the physical problems and the spiritual problems, the spirit-controlled people that, you know, I was avoiding. The third area of problems was, was within me. I had come to the mission field with a set of problems. You see? Unresolved things. I, I'm the kind of guy that has unseen besetting sins, you know, that don't show. That's why I'm the best guy in my church. You know, I sing loud, carry the biggest Bible, you know, always serve, and they thought I was A1 Christian. But I never had the nerve to tell them, look, I have no victory over my thought life. I got this 
trash in that comes services all the time. And, and, and my worry and fear and all this inside stuff, you lucky people that have outward besetting sins, nobody's going to send you to the mission field, you lucky. <laughs> I never get into a problem that I got into. You know, I call you the fortunate ones. Everybody prays for you, you lucky guys. <laughs> us perfect ones, nobody prays for us. I mean, we're going to... Oh, but uh, so I've got these friends now, Satan's saying, well, how can you, 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 you have no business being out here, and really I didn't. You can never win these people, they're unreachable. Yeah, I agreed with that too. There's, oh man, there's, there's no way I can make it. And, and that's, that's the struggle. My mind, I was totally defeated, and I couldn't get victory over my own problem areas and uh, struggle on like that for 70 years. That's too long, folks. That is too long. That's a long time. Finally, oh, that one, one furlough in between. I don't know how we made it. It's grace. Uh, while we were there struggling, they were coming and going, the missionaries. Got one station there, had nine missionaries, and still nobody could, ha could live there. Now, you're talking about, uh, some, uh, our brother Cliff talked this morning about territorial things like that. And uh, I'm starting to learn what was happening out here in this conference. And uh, but like that first village of Jufo, we moved away from and started in the next village. I struggled on. Finally, a MAF pilot brought us a book by Tim LaHaye, Spirit Controlled Temperament. For the first time in my life, by now I had quit ministering. By now I had quit trying to preach. Uh, I just, on my knees, crying out. My nervous system was gone. I mean, on furlough, I would got tranquilizers as a plan. Missionaries shouldn't ever be on tranquilizers, but some of us do need it anyway. Yeah. My wife was on tranquilizers. We were broken. Uh, our health was gone, and I wept before God almost night and day, and I said, God, there's got to be more to it than what I got. My wife very honest said to me one day, said, if this is all there is to Christianity, it sure isn't much. Uh, and how true it is. We read the Bible, and I hate it reading the, the Pauline epistles. He talks about always having the victory, always triumphing Christ. Uh, you know, and I thought, man, I, I avoid it. You know where I have my devotions in that book of Exodus? Uh, you know, <laughs> they blew it all. That, that may, I mean, I'm not the only one. It's so good to know you're not the only one that's having a problem. Uh, anyway, uh, but crying out, saying, God, I've got to have help. I don't know what to do. There's, and then um, Pilot brings me. For the first time in my life, I know what it is to walk, to live a spirit-filled life or walk a spirit-filled walk, whatever you want to call it. It's a daily thing. Uh, and daily, I've had to ask him to fill me. And now... Hey, do you want to know what spiritual warfare is? When you have two people controlled, possessed by opposing spirits. You don't have any peace. Man, it's going to... <laughs> I mean, you couldn't be... A wherever I meet... When I learned to be a walk, a spirit-filled walk in a demon-controlled jungle, that's when it's like a small candle is lit in a dark jungle, totally dark, never seen any spiritual light, and now there is a bit of light. Not when I walked in the first time. Now that the Holy Spirit is in control, something's got to give. And I can tell you all kinds of stories what happened now. Friends, I begged God. I said, God, I cannot live the Spirit-filled life. There's no way I can live it. It was hard enough before I was Spirit-filled. But now they're screaming at me everywhere I go. They, they drew a line on the, on the path. They had these huge spears and these possessed guys. And I was going to this far village. And they had this line, don't you come in here. We don't, nobody wants you here. You step over this line and this spear will go through you. I looked at that spear and I looked at those eyes. And I looked at those guys. 
And now I'm spirit-filled. You say, now our missionary is spirit-filled. He boldly let it. No, he didn't. <laughs> he, he ran home, friends. <laughs> you say, now, look, just a minute. How can a spirit-filled guy run? Well, fear is sin. And when I ran, I wasn't spirit-filled anymore. I was listening to the wrong guy. Isn't that right? When I listen to Satan, I'm not spirit-controlled. As soon as you sin, confess it, get it right, get it on the altar, ask him to fill you again, on your way you go. At last until your next sin. You see? Isn't that right? That's exactly right. And so I ran home, I confessed, and I said, God, got to give me boldness next time. What do I do? You know, I go, hated to go back to that village again, but I knew I had to. It was six weeks I lived like that. It's an awkward, hey, don't tell anybody to be spirit-filled without giving him the authority of the believer, will you? Without telling him that he can use the name of Jesus Christ. Will you promise me that? It's not fair. It's, I know a whole denomination that talks about the spiritual life, doesn't talk about the authority of, of the believer, and their pastors are falling like flies. It, you've got to have the, the, the know-how to resist him when you become useful. And so, uh, a book by C.S. Lovett, uh, Dealing with the Devil, very simple little book, little thin book, and uh, the authority. And man, I learned, I nearly memorized that thing, friends. I needed it so bad. And then when I went to the jungle, to this large village, uh, that's where Bill Gothard calls this a snake story. This is really my authority message, uh, authority over Satan. But when Bill Gothard calls it something, you can't fight with him. He's so big, so now I call it a snake story, too. And, but really, there's only a little bit of snake in there, really, but that's all he remembered, I guess. Um, I was going along this trail, and it's on the swamp, and you're on these slippery logs. And uh, I, they say, your feet are so dumb. I was always falling off. And, um, and, and I, when you go through those jungles, if you fall off a log, those of you who might be missionaries someday, don't, don't reach, don't grab anything to hold you up. It'll bite you or it'll, uh, you know, thorns. I mean, just go straight down into the swamp, into the mud. The blood suckers are slow. Go for the slow ones. I mean, uh, just, now I'm always falling out and they call me uh, missionaries because feet are so dumb, see? And so I'm walking and finally you get so tired you just don't care about looking anymore. They make me go first because I'm the slowest. That's the problem. They said if we go first, we'll be two different parties. So uh, you I'm going for now. Then you get all the dew and you get everything that's on the trail, see? And then spider webs, especially. Man, if you don't watch them, huge spiders. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going on these logs and you get so tired you forget about looking. You say, God, if you don't look after me, nobody is looking after me. Because I, you know, once the snake fell out of this tree and I thought, you know, I'm looking deadly snakes on the path, on the trail, on the swamp bottom floor there and then this I was in this boat finally got it going I was in this boat and he missed my boat by just two or three inches man it was a big one just came slithering right down man and I'm so glad it got, missed my boat I would I just fiberglass isn't that strong in that boat and I always carried this machete now I'm not a very strong man but when I get scared man it's amazing what you can do and I thought if I'd be hacking at this snake I'd go down into the drink you know and 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 you know where would you want to be if the snake was in the boat and the crocodiles are outside uh, oh brother I said God I, I can't take care of myself it's a good place to come to I can't take care of myself no way I can take. You can buy all the insurance you want, and you never take care of yourselves. Friends, it's got to be God taking care of you. And 
Well, nobody would insure me anyway. I mean, <laughs> I, went, I went to an insurance man. He said, we insure anybody. And I said, hey, I need some life insurance. He says, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm, I'm a missionary to the cannibals. Uh, <laughs> he says, get out of here. I said, <laughs> I said, well, take your sign down. I enjoyed that, so I did that some more. I did that all, all over the city. Um, but you know, I crossed the snake. See, I wasn't one, this big yellow snake. This man behind me said, Tuan, you dumb, your eyes are blind. And this was Hohoi snake. This was the, this, the, the, the evil spirit. You don't cross that snake. They had told me that previously. I would always stand up there and hold my Bible up and say, Jesus is stronger than Satan. You don't have to be afraid of Hohoi. And I said, uh, they said, come prove it. Prove it to us. You know, come with us. I said, I don't need to prove it. That's what the, I didn't want to prove. I, I mean, I, I know this is what I learned in theology class, right? And so um, I'd hold my Bible up, but now I'd cross that snake. Man, I, I scared. Man, I got caught up on my devotions quick. You better believe it. And you try to confess sin that you don't even know you did. And you know what I mean when you're desperate? Have you ever been desperate to be right with God so desperate that you hoped you could dig up some more sin to confess? And now he says, do you want me to leave the pack here? Do you want me to carry it home? I said, you don't leave me in this jungle. How will I ever get out here? He said, well, Tuan, I'm not crossing that snake. No way. You're going to meet the evil spirits. They're going to scream at you and so on. And uh, boy, I, started, I had to stink. I started beating on the snake, hoping to kill him. Uh, and finally, he lay. He was squirming, squirming. His tail was in the swamp. His head was in the I don't know which end was which. I still don't know. I don't care. Uh, and, and I beat that snake. And finally, he lay still. I said, Nimrod, come on. He's dead. He said, oh, Tuan, it's even worse crossing a dead one. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Finally, he made a detour. I don't know what made him think, but that guy stayed with me that day. It is unbelievable that he, w he made a detour. I know he didn't cross the snake. It couldn't have been that long. He was way out there somewhere. And he, and, and he says, Tuan, and this, if you ever seen a, a, a black man turn pale, I mean, this guy was shaking. And he says, Tuan, how can this be? We're together. You crossed him. I didn't. I said, come on. Jesus will help us. He says, oh, they're going to scream at you, Tuan, though. You, you, I'm gonna, you, you're so stubborn, you're going to die out here. Man, I'm praying. And then we go on. We were about an hour and a half down the trail, and he said, I've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to relieve myself. So he says, you keep right on going. Your feet are so dumb. I'll catch up with you. You always throw those dumb feet in there. So he just goes in the jungle, and I'm out there alone. But now I've forgotten about the snake, and I've been praying all the way, and I'm going through this, and where it's very dark and double canopy overhead, and it's very narrow through those Sago Swamp. The, the, the screaming out of this wall of jungle. You can only look into this wall of jungle about two, three feet, and it's so thick. Friends, you're just going to have to believe me. There's no way I can describe this, but it's like a horror movie where a person is uh, choking to death, just the loudest screaming, the ugliest screaming I'd ever heard right out of that wall of jungle. Now, friends, I'm on a, a log, slowly sinking into the swamp. They say you're all, the problem with your walking is you ride all these logs down and you climb up on the next one. He says, you've got to get off them before they sink to them. That's a problem. He says, you're always going uphill. No wonder you're so tired. See? <laughs> Now, I'm sinking slowly into the swamp. I plant that stick in there, hanging on. I could hardly breathe. My knees were shaking so bad. I, it was frozen. I couldn't pull my leg up out to take the next step. I just, I just couldn't do it. I was just paralyzed almost. I could tell my heart was beating like a drum. It was screaming. I was never so scared in my life. And what would you have done? 
crying out to Jesus, Jesus, help me, save me. I mean, like Peter, when he's trying to walk on the water, remember, halfway between the boat and Jesus, and doesn't know how to swim, you know. You don't have time for long prayers. Friends, you've got to be prayed up something. And he, he said, Jesus, save me. I said, Jesus, help me. And the beauty is, I, I so love this thing that when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus went to heaven, that people say, well, why did he go? He sent the Holy Spirit down. There's no religion like ours. God in me. All of us could go to a different jungle and the Holy Spirit of God is in our very hearts and can hear us when we cry in our hour of despair. That's, that's, that's something, isn't it? That's our Christianity. There is no, no faith in the world like that, you know. If Jesus was still on earth, the Holy Spirit couldn't have come. Isn't that right? It says so. And I cried out, Jesus, help me. And the thought in my mind, he didn't do anything spectacular. He just put it in my mind. Resist him, he will flee from you. That's what I read in Lovett's book. But I wanted to say, look, I, I'm reformed. I'm Dutch reformed. <laughs> we, we don't do, I, I'm, I'm a Baptist by marriage. And I said, we, we, we don't do this kind of, you don't argue with God when you've got 30 seconds to live. You don't argue with God where you came from, what you are. You just do what he says. That's the best thing anyway. And so he says, resist him. And I thought, what language? Well, I skipped that. I knew he wouldn't know Dutch. Uh, I, I found out better. Uh, but I, 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 that's the loudest. I, uh, I mean, I thought he'd never hear me. And I said, Hoy, Satan, in Jesus' name. That's, that's deep. I hadn't memorized it. In Jesus' name, leave me alone. I resist you. And then you have to get a verse. Now, how can you get the right verse in a situation like that? I can hardly get the right verse in front of you, Pete. You know, and, but God put it in my mind. He's there. He's there to help you. He, he doesn't leave you when you're at the end of your rope and crying out to him. And uh, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's the verse I quoted. And the noise stopped. And the most amazing thing. I had always had such a dread going through the swamp. My wife knew it. Why aren't you going to that village? And I said, well, I just don't feel good. I was always feeling bad. And that was the atmosphere. That was the in those jungles. And now that he was gone, I saw orchids. I saw beauty in that swamp. God gave me a song. I could walk better on the rocks. It carries over into the physical realm. And Nimrod caught up and I told him what my, he says, oh, Tuan, come home with me. He begged me to come. He says, he's going to follow parallel to the path. And after he attacks you three or four times, he says, Tuan, you won't even be able to breathe. You'll die. And I said, I can't believe them taking that three or four times. I, I, I said, no, but he's fleeing from us. And friends, that's exactly what happened when we got to that village, the biggest chief. I didn't know he was the biggest chief of the whole area. Sat there with three, three chiefs, sat in this house. And, they, and they, they invited me. He could never get to my village because Satan would put a snake in his way. He had them all locked in with different noises of the jungle. The men could come through, but they couldn't accept the Lord because the chief has to accept the Lord first. So none of the people can be saved. The chief can't get to me. The only way was me getting to them. There was a thousand people in this thing. And, and I couldn't get to them. And then Satan, the last trial was to put that snake in my way. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had read that book that we have authority in Jesus' name, I wouldn't have gone on. I almost didn't go on as it was. He begged me, said, and, but I went on. And friends, when we resist him and he flees from us, how long does he stay away? Well, there's no answer to that one. But I know this, that he was away from us, still fleeing from us when we 
told the gospel to that group of men in that jungle house. There was no room for the women. Houses on post. The men all came in. The three chiefs, chiefs sit right there. I sit here. This, the arrow rack is here. And I, I'm so tired anyway, I want to sit down. I can't even stand up in their homes. And, and, and the people around, they come pushing in until the thing is so overloaded, the vines start to snap on the floor wood. And uh, oh man, and uh, the chief says, no more in, get out. And some, some of them jump out. But you can't get them excited. You get them excited, um, brother, you go down. That's, that's what we call hanging in there. Um, <laughs> now, I knew this predicament. And, um, but I sit there and told, you know, before I speak, Nimrod speaks. And he says, hey, you know what? The Tuan met the Hohe, screamed at him, didn't kill him. Something about what he's got is stronger than Hohe. Now, that's an unsaved lad talking to a bunch of unsaved, demon-filled people. They were all possessed. Boy, that got attention. What he said... He said, Tuan, I want to. And I couldn't believe it. How can a demon-possessed man pray to my Jesus? I'd never thought that was possible. But when the demons were fleeing, they lost their control even in that meeting over a guy that's got demons in him. And he sits there with tears in his eyes confessing his sin. And he mentions all these murders. He had, he had skulls like big bunches of coconuts hanging in his jungle houses. And he confesses all this sin. And he sits there and then he prays. I, I say, I'll say it. And he said it after me. Oh, Jesus, wash me clean. I repent of my sin. I, it's hard to believe. I had, I've been there seven years. I had two converts. And this was the third one. And friends, it was unbelievable. And then the other chief goes. And then the, th the third clan here wanted that chief. He wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't. He didn't accept the But now the men of these first two chiefs. You know, when I said, Sabo, are you willing, are you willing to ask Jesus, do you believe that Jesus can wash your sins away? Or no, they, he said, no, he asked me, can your Jesus wash my sin away, make my stomach clean? And I, he said, and I said, yes. And the whole crowd said, no way. You know, they knew who he was and I didn't. And for a moment there we were out of control and the vines start to snap and they bailed out like out of a sinking ship. Uh, and, uh, and finally they all creep back in. You can overload if you add weight slowly. And, and there we sit. And there I lead this man to Christ. And then I had 40 converts that Sunday morning within an hour. I couldn't believe it, friends. I was weeping all the way home. I said, God, I can't understand. I can't understand at all. See, at this time, folks, I was still struggling with my own impure thoughts and with my own worry and my sin. I was still confessing the same sins every day. Any of you like that? Confessing the sin, that gets old, friends. You wonder how many times more God's going to forgive you. And I'm camping on 1 John 1, 9 if we confess our sins. You know, I, uh, and friends, and I said, God, I'm such a weakling. I shouldn't even be here. And what you did, I can't understand at all, but it's the power of Jesus' name, despite of the vessel. Oh, isn't that something? But he wants us to be right with God. But he'll, he'll do anything in the situation when he's only got one dirty vessel in the whole jungle. He's got to use him, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what else can he do? Uh, but uh, uh, two weeks later, I go to the village of Minda, that shrewd chief there. He had said, come and we will make a church and you come and talk to us. 
he thought he'd get better prices from my trade store and free medicine and all the advantages. And he had talked, and nobody, they were in there squeezed like sardines in a can. I mean, this place wasn't big enough for the whole village. The women were on one side, and men on the other side, the front row. People were, their legs were underneath my table. I mean, I was backed up to the uh, wall almost. They had made a little table. And, and I set my Bible on there, and, and here the chief was standing at the door, and there they all were. There was three, five feet of badly needed airspace. The wall came up that high, just a leaf wall, a leaf roof. And man, when you've got 350 people in a place that never bathed, you need all the air. You, you believe me, just believe me. They can never sneak up on you. Yeah. <laughs> and friends, there they were in there, and this, and I'm leading them in this little song, and, and then uh, leading them in prayer. Now, they were all quiet for the prayer. When you're talking to the other spirits, man, it's, it's and, and then I tried, I really tried to preach, but man, this big pig comes charging through that leaf wall into the church. There was no room for him, but he came in on the women's side, came in anyway. And those women were screaming and, and yelling, and the men were laughing over here. And it was a three rings, and the pig, they were beating on the pig, and there was no... Oh, finally, there was, he got in the middle aisle. There was a tiny aisle like this. And, uh, and uh, he was, and these men, I said, Chief, get him out. So the Chief says, men, get him. So they jump up, and they're just sitting on sticks. And they all rip up these benches and sticks and start beating on the pig. Now the owner starts a hollering, and they were all around him. They, the pig had nowhere to go. This pig, a huge pig, went right up in the air and landed once more on the women. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was the day left. But see, now, when these guys jump up, you know, these benches tipped, they get up on this side, and that fence wood goes flying. Oh, oh, it's terrible. And it was chaos. And finally, I said, hey, let them out the door. Well, finally, they got the pig out. Now, to get them all back in there, friends, we couldn't get them all back in like they were before. And they were sitting on each other's places, and they were fighting and fussing. And finally, I said, stand up and yell. Now, I had a whole aisle full of people. And I tried to figure out where I was. I, and I just got started. The pig came in on the men's side. We had the whole thing. Now the women laughed and such. <laughs> well, the pig kept coming in. Kept Once he came in at the front corner, crashed through the wall, came right at me. I didn't know where to go. I squeezed against it. And he came right through here in the wall and crashed right through the wall there. Just, now I don't know if you preachers could have preached in this situation. <laughs> but not only that, but the dogs all have demons in them. They killed a dog once and a demon went into a person, so they believe now that all the dogs had demons. So they never kill a dog. They're mangy, scroungy dogs. They did their howling around the church. A pack of 40, 50 starving dogs. You know, no, not enough food for them. That you dumbo can't believe the noise. Now I got the pig inside and the dogs outside. Besides that, all the women, oh, they talk, they talk. I, there's all the, it's un unbelievable the, in those churches. Well, and then these babies all crying. You couldn't blame them. All the babies are crying, the women are talking, and the pigs. And I quit, friends. I just blamed. Quit. I said, let's sing the little song again. And they said, all right, and it's all right, you go home. And they thought, wow, this church is terrific. Church is, enter <laughs> church is entertaining. And, uh, and I walked home and I complained to the Lord. I said, Lord, you got to help me a little bit. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit. You didn't like that. Yeah, I, I did say it. I, I confessed it later. But uh, will you forgive me? <laughs> I, I said, God, I really tried to do your job. And then I said, Jesus, if you'd stood behind that desk, what would you do? You wouldn't have been that defeated. Of course not. And all, as I asked him for answers, this was, he brought him, what did you learn two weeks ago on that Saharan trail? And all of a sudden I thought, yeah, I should have resisted. See, I did it then because my life was at stake. And we're so concerned with number one. 
Well, it's so, it's so, much, so much more important that the, the ministry of God is far more important in my life. And so I thought about that. And I said, oh, God, I understand. And I waited till Saturday because, I mean, I don't voluntarily go resist and talk to Satan. I mean, I'm Baptist. I'm good Baptist. I mean, I come out of I come out of Bob Jones University. I mean, we we're and uh, so I wait till Saturday afternoon. I'm due again Sunday afternoon. I got it. Now I quote half of all of Ephesians six at the devil. I didn't know how much scripture to quote. You know, I mean, I had nobody to teach. You. I had no teacher, and so I I confess my sin extra good and. I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me extra good. And then I said, Satan, same place, same station, same time, tomorrow afternoon where you met me. No interference, no activity under that roof. That's what I said. And I quoted scripture. And I said, in Jesus' name. Now, with great expectancy, can you imagine me walking through that jungle, wondering what's going to happen now? I got to the church, same crowd, everything the same, not a, not a, not a noise. Not a noise in that place. Chief was at the door. Babies went to sleep. I looked afterwards. The dogs had done their howling somewhere else. I walked to see where the pigs were, and they were right on the far end of that sand bank, uh, that sand bank there. That and man, they just sat there looking at me. And I preached a simple, very simple gospel. Friends, I. Pigs, yeah, they were somewhere else. The dogs were somewhere else. The babies went to sleep, but the women, I can't explain that one. <laughs> they, they, they were there and they were awake. But you know, as I preached, I saw tears. I've never seen tears among Yahweh. I couldn't believe it. And then I gave some kind of, I said, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of living in this terrible fear? You can be set free. There's, there's a power stronger than our life. And this fellow named Yucanese came down there. He had word for me. He came down the aisle, and he grabbed my hand. And he says, Tuan, I've had enough. If there's a better way, that's what I want. What will it cost me? And he came. He held my hand so tight, I thought, if he's getting hold of Jesus like that, he's got it. <laughs> but then I said, Yucanese, let go, because there was others. There was a dozen people standing Except now that was the difference between the first visit in that village and the second. The power of Jesus' name. I rejoiced on my way home. I don't even want to tell my Baptist friends how I rejoiced because I would, I would lose my support for sure. But you know, I rejoiced all the way home. And I said, oh God, will you do it one more time in that village of Hashima, that long church. They can only make rafters so long so they make it deep. And I said, do it one more time. And let those people have a chance to hear the gospel. And then this, the loving rebuke, which humiliated me, was this. You ask one more time. My name will never lose its power. You can use your na my name everywhere you go, every time you preach if necessary. And can you imagine how that overwhelmed me? You mean, and friends, I endeavored in that jungle with so many possessed people, I had to do that. And once I forgot, and I stood in front of that long Hashima church, and I had forgotten. And the whole place was in an uproar and a mess. And I thought, oh no, I, I wonder why I forgot there was something came up, whatever. 
And friends, I still had never done this in front of people. And so I walked out, ta-da. And I walked by the chief, I said, chief, keep them all here, I'll be back in a minute. He thought I was going to, I walked down the path behind the church into the jungle just a little ways. They thought I was going to the washroom somewhere. And I said, Satan, I forgot something. You know what it is and I know what it is. And I command in Jesus' name that you, that you leave. No, that, that building's dedicated to God. And then I started to quote scripture. And I think God allowed this to happen so that he would know, so that I would know how much scripture I need to quote. I got about halfway through the first verse and the whole noise in the church dies down. I thought, hey, that's all we need. Satan knows when he's defeated, folks. And I walk back in and the chief looks at me and the people look at me and they said to him, what is different? And that was a difference in the atmosphere in the spirit who is in control of that church. And you can sense it. And friends, so God showed me all this stuff the hard way. And... Uh, well, I, I, I must close. It's time to close. I could tell you other, how, how I taught my people and how these people at, at their salvation, you know what happened at the salvation even at Sabo the first time? You know what they did? They say, Jesus, I want your great clean spirit to come in. And in the same breath, they would say, and all you evil, sinful spirits, you leave. I didn't have to tell them that. I never had to cast out any demons. I've never done it. But I've seen all kinds of them set free. Because when they are right to meet God, then they know both can't be there. And friends, so I, I taught them that. And so we never let a person go. When you lead a person to Christ, never let them go until you show them the authority of Jesus' name. It's not fair, folks. It's not fair. Because Satan will hurl the strongest temptations at him right after salvation. If he can defeat him in the first temptation, they're lost. I mean, they, they don't come back. They say, well, we can. We, it's just, you guys can do it, I can. All right, let me know. Last summer I went, this was 15 years ago. Last summer I went back. There was three churches when I left. Now there are 10. But no, all right. We were in the jungle. We, we made it a point to get to all churches. I preached in all 10. We went through those swamps and down those rivers. And finally, this young man was with me and helped me, a younger man. And friends, we, we couldn't get to a village and so we slept in the jungle and there was a jungle little bivouac a little house and in the middle of the night there stood a man and he had a flashlight and John called me because he didn't know language he said oh there's a guy here and I said hey who are you and he said oh I'm so and so from the village of Sirokia and I said what are you doing out here in the dark he says I'm hunting pigs I said aren't you afraid are you by yourself he said yeah aren't you afraid he said no I said, you're supposed to be afraid. No man ever goes in the jungle by himself, let alone in the dark. Are you a Christian? No. How in the world can an unsaved native, still controlled by demons, not be afraid in the black jungle? And I said, aren't you afraid, man? He says, no. You know what I discovered? That when the Spirit of God starts moving upon an area, the powers of darkness withdraw, and the unsaved native loses his fear. Isn't that amazing? And that's why it's so important for us as Christians to be strong, Christians in our church to be strong, and it even blesses those unsaved around us. They'll know the difference, because now the power of God is in those areas. And the fellow John said, you know, I sensed more, more demonic atmosphere in the States than I do here. I had prepared him, John, you're gonna have to be ready for it. You'll get depressed. Uh, you know, I try to prepare him. 
And he says, I don't sense it. I said, I don't need her. And the next day I preached in that Sirocchio village and there was this man and one, there was a great number of people came forward and one of those was that very man and he was saved. Friends, praise God. And now they don't dance those demonic dances anymore. Now they're, you know how they, what entertainment they do now? Singing the gospel songs. All night singing. And they told us they'd come and sing when we arrived in their villages. And we'd finally get so tired to go to bed, and then they'd usually break up if we went in. But they'd sing. That's what they do for entertainment. No more headhunting, dancing, no more uh, impure dances and all that stuff that, uh, friends, it's beautiful. And then came the day, this was now many years after I was there. They had never thanked me for coming. They thought they were the nicest people any, that I'd travel all over the world and I'd found the nicest people anywhere and I'd settle with them. That's what, really what they thought, <laughs> brother. And I know, and, and, and friends, they, uh, they finally said, they thanked me. I sat in their house and they said, this man left his people and for the first time in about 18 years, they said, this man came and left his people to tell them. Now they finally knew why I had come. And I couldn't hardly sleep that night. And they thanked me. You came. And that's why you came, wasn't it, Tuhan? I said, that's why I came. I told you that all along, but finally they realized it. Well, friends, the power of God. He can save people like that. He can do anything. Don't ever doubt what God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you the glory. You're a great God. What a mess I made of things. And how you can even use my weaknesses to glorify your own name. So we surrender ourselves again to you. Use us just the way we are and help us to grow and to be better servants of yours. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.